0: All right, we'll go ahead and grab your Bible, and we're going to be in Matthew 28 tonight. Familiar text as we pick up on biblical priorities for young families. Some of you that have uh, joined us in recent weeks haven't uh, uh, been a part of our whole series, but you're picking up on a few of these with us. But we started way back in September uh, considering the overall direction that the Scriptures Exhort us to uh, that of loving God and loving others. That's the the path that we are to be on, regardless of the details of our life. and And then we started to think together about those details of what that looks like, fleshed out, and how we have a limited amount of time and energy, and we are to devote that to the things that God has called us to, making the most of the time. and And that affects what we do. It affects how we do those things. And then we've just been considering. Some various priorities, various things that should be consistent in the use of our time. And we've talked about things like our, our own pursuit of personal godliness, that we need to be spending time cultivating our relationship with Christ through the, the means that He has given us of, of time in His Word, of, of prayer, and then broadening to the priority of the church, that we are to be involved in, in corporate worship, assembling together, uh, not forsaking that, as is the habit of some, but, uh, but being committed to gather weekly as, as Christ commands that we would, uh, would be encouraged and built up. But not just coming and attending, but engaging in the life of the body through service and fellowship, ministering to one another, building our, our lives and our families around involvement in the local church. And then the, the priority of, of our family relationships, both extended family, but primarily our marriage, that is the, the rock on which, uh, the, the foundation on which our family is built. And then uh, the, the responsibilities that we have as men and women to flesh that out in, uh, in the priorities that we devote ourselves to. And, and tonight we want to turn our attention a, in a, a little bit of a unique way in that we want to consider the priority of evangelism. Now you might say, why why pick that? There's a lot of things we could talk about, and you're true that's true. There are a lot of things that the Bible calls us to spend our time on, um, you know, and how does this relate to, to young families, since that's what we are, are particularly considering. But, uh, you know, I, I think there are many unique challenges that come when we have young children, and, and we've hit on a lot of those things as we've talked, you know, the temptation to just kind of pull back because it's hard to spend time with people because we have young children running around screaming and things like that. But we want to focus on those things. But it's easy to kind of become consumed in our world and to forget that we are here for a larger purpose. God has placed us here and left us here with a mission. And certainly the, the, uh, the manner in which we engage in that mission may look different at different seasons of life. Uh, and you may think back to times where you're like, man, I had a lot of opportunities to evangelize at this season of life, and now I don't have as many for various reasons, but we don't want to lose sight of that central mission. And so I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, again, a familiar text that we want to launch from tonight that really highlights the, the mission that we have, our mission to make disciples, John MacArthur writes of this passage that if a Christian understands all the rest of the Gospel of Matthew but fails to understand this closing passage, he has missed the point of the entire book. He says it is not an exaggeration to say that in the broadest sense, this, this text is the focal point of all of Scripture. He says this central message of Scripture pertains to the central mission of the people of God. A mission that tragically many Christians do not understand or are unwilling to fulfill. It seems obvious that some Christians think little about their mission in this world except in regard to their own personal needs. They attend services and meetings when it's convenient. They take what they feel like taking and have little concern for anything else. They're involved in church only to extent, the extent that it serves their own desires. It escapes their understanding and their concern that the Lord has given His church a supreme mission and that He calls every believer to be an instrument in fulfilling that mission. Yes, we are here on a mission from Christ. It makes me think of, of the uh, RMS Queen Mary, which was a ship that was built in the 1930s to be a luxury liner that would take passengers from the U.S. to Europe and, and vice versa and It was an amazing ship, over 1,000 feet long, had 12 decks, could carry almost 2,000 passengers with a crew of 1,000 serving them. But something happened late in the 1930s that radically altered the course of that ship's life and and use, and that was World War II. And, And it went from being a luxury liner, carrying wealthy patrons who were just having a good time, to being a troop transport. And, and over the course of the war, it carried over 700,000 soldiers back and forth between the U.S. and Europe. You know, it's, it's two contrasting pictures, a, a luxury liner on the one hand and a troop transport on mission on the other. Now, that doesn't mean our life does not involve the enjoyment of the world that God has made, but it does mean that we need to view ourselves as on a mission, as, as focused on what it is that Christ has left us here to do, and, and we can easily be distracted from that or lose sight of that by many things, and even many good things. You know, but there is really only, only one thing that God says you and I can do better here than in heaven. You know, our worship that we've talked about, corporate worship, it's great here, but it's going to be better in heaven. Our, our relationships, you know, those will be far better in heaven. Um, the, the opportunities for holiness and godliness. We will be perfected in heaven. But evangelism, ministry on behalf of Christ, is something that we'll no longer have that opportunity to do. And and so Jesus summarizes this mission for us in Matthew 28. Begin in verse 16 with me. It says, "...but the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee." This is uh, in God's providence, uh, similar timing to where we find ourselves in the year Christ has risen." From the dead and, and he has told his disciples that he will meet them in Galilee. They they head that way to the mountain which Jesus had designated. It's likely that there were more than just the eleven there. First Corinthians records that Jesus appeared to over five hundred at one time, and many of his followers were in Galilee, so likely this was that time Jesus intentionally went there where more of his followers were to give them this mandate. And it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. They, their response was one of worship. But some, it says, were doubtful. Again, that's, that's likely evidence that there were more than just the 11 there because uh, these were some who had seen him, were seeing him for the first time. And Jesus, it says, came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, though therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Obviously, there's more here than we can unpack in our brief time together tonight, but we can see the central mission that Christ called us to. It's that main verb in verse 19 where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The, the other details of what is to characterize us hinge on, on that phrase. Jesus says, what are you to do, church, my followers? You are to, as you go, going make disciples. Now, there's a sense in which we, we can't make disciples. Jesus obviously understood that. This is not a work that we can accomplish, this is god's work in hearts to draw men to himself but we have a role to play in declaring the truth about christ and calling them to respond to him you know matthew's theme is is jesus as the king as the promised messiah the anointed one and and so to make disciples means that those are are going or, or that people are going from being rebels rejecting the king to followers submitted to The king. You know, and this is the first time Jesus commanded his disciples to do this because previously he'd been the one drawing disciples after him. But he says, Now I'm leaving. You're to make disciples. And uniquely, they're not to be disciples of you, followers of you, which would have been typical of a disciple, a rabbi making followers for himself, but disciples of Christ. We are here as his ambassadors heralds of the king, calling our world to respond to the king as he deserves, to recognize who he is, that promised king and Messiah, and to respond to him. Our life is to be about the mission of making disciples. Now, certainly as 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 was alluded to even in the quote that I read earlier, this is a a mission that is given to the church at large and to each of us individually who make up the church to be a part of the fulfillment of this. You know, if you think of what your life is about, what it is that you are are giving yourself to, again, big picture, you ought to think of things like, I'm I'm here to love God. I want to love and serve Him. I'm here to love people. And the specific focus, mission that you have is that of being used by God to call others to be subjects of the King that you love. You know, if we think about that, that mission, living to make disciples, it affects so much of our life, how you view your family, your kids' sports and hobbies, your relationships, your money, your time. We are called to make disciples, but not just Any disciples, he goes on and says, of all the nations. We we can't view it as we're done because we've made a disciple or a few disciples. We've played our part. It's it's an ongoing task and mission that we have. And really, we see this carried out in the life of the early church. If you think of the book of Acts, which records for us the growth of the church and the intentionality with which the church uh, was, was seeking to Proclaim the gospel, not necessarily recognizing that right away, but God working to, to drive the church from Jerusalem so that the gospel was proclaimed. Sometimes that happened not uh, in, in their choice. Like in Acts chapter 8, it talks about the persecution that arose after uh, the stoning of Stephen. And the church was scattered. And you think, oh man, how terrible is that? But it says those who were scattered went about preaching the word. It was God's means of saying, you're going to proclaim the gospel. As you go, you're going to have opportunities. We see faithful churches like the church in Thessalonica who who was living out their obedience to the gospel so that word about Christ spread all around as chapter 1 records. guys, why should we be so excited and so committed to making disciples? What's our motivation, secondly, to make disciples? You know, Jesus gives us a little bit of insight into that in this text. Again, there's a lot of other things we could... Draw from, but he says, Go therefore, in light of what I have just said and what has just taken place, be committed to make disciples. And what has immediately preceded this, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He reminds them and us that Jesus is the ultimate authority. You know, there's, there's a, a, a couple of aspects, I think, that are helpful for us to understand. You know, that we are motivated by the authority of Jesus. One of that has to do with the fact that he is letting them know that I am, I am the rightful ruler who is going to reign. You, you are on the winning team. I have all authority. There's also a sense in which he's reminding us that I have the right to tell you what to do. You know, if you're a parent, you understand that you long-term want your kids to, to understand all the things you ask them to do? How many guys ask your kids to eat things that they don't like to eat? Yeah, and you hope that eventually you get, they get to the point where they say, yeah, I get that. I understand why all those years you made me eat that, and now I do that on my own. Some of your kids may get there. Some may not. My daughter Anna <laughs> utterly despises broccoli. We spent like 10 years trying to get her to tolerate broccoli. She still gags every time she touches the stuff. And we finally said, fine, don't eat broccoli. Um, But you you hope they learn that there is wisdom in what you say. But when they're young, it's mostly, hey, you do what I say. So there's a sense in which Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the authority. You don't have to fully understand. You have to obey and do the things that I call you to. But... Ideally, that's not our chief motivation for making disciples, is it? That we say, okay, I get this. Jesus is the boss. He says to do this. We're going to do this. I think our our chief motivation flows out of verse 17. It says, when they saw him, they what? They worshipped him. Understood. Jesus is the king. He has the king. He's the right to tell us what to do. We should do what he says. But we long to see Jesus worshipped. We long to see him followed. We want to do that ourselves, and we are eager to be ambassadors. Eager to proclaim him so that others will respond and worship him as well. Yes, Jesus deserves to be obeyed, and so we follow his mandate to make disciples. But Jesus deserves to be worshipped as well. And so with joy, we long to see others worship him. You might think of, of the scenes in Revelation of, of Christ being exalted. You know, If you were here on Good Friday service, um, that, that song Dusty sang, Is he worthy? Does he deserve the worship? And the answer is, he is. He does. He deserves it. He deserves all glory and honor. The disciples gathered on that mountain worship. They, they recognized he's worthy and we long to make Disciples. We, we want to be a part of making disciples. Now, this process of making disciples leads to engagement in the church. We're baptizing them. They're becoming part of a local church, teaching to... to um, Obey all that I have commanded you. A disciple is not just somebody who has made a profession of faith. It's somebody who is connected to Christ's body, who is growing to reflect Him. That's, that's happening for all of us, hopefully. We are being made into disciples through the local church, and then we are eager to see others join in that. There's that same motivation for our life for growth that we want to more accurately represent Christ and and honor Him drives us to evangelism as well. Jesus deserves to be worshipped, and we should be eager to tell others of Him. You know, you think about the things that easily excite us in our communication with others. What, what are the things you don't have to, have to uh, force yourself to tell others? You know, the things you have to force yourself to maybe not talk as much about. Maybe you're a, a young mom and it's, it's your kids and you can't help but share with others about funny things your kids did you know, and, and the cute things that they've done. Or, or maybe that's a, a favorite sports team or a hobby where it's just, man, I, I always find myself in conversations talking about these things. You know, our, our attitude should be, that is Christ to us. We, we are eager to speak of Him to others. Because we love him and we long to see him worship. Well, how do we do this? Thirdly, let's just briefly consider our manner of making disciples. You know, this starts in our home with our children. You know, do you think of your primary parenting goal as that of making disciples? Again, you can't guarantee this, but you can be faithful. We've talked a, a lot over the course of this year and in years past about the means that God has given of, uh, as parents. Ephesians 6 puts it into two primary categories, discipline and instruction. As we are disciplining our kids, we ought to be driving them to the truth of the gospel. That's the whole point, that they see themselves as sinners and that we are directing them to Christ. In our instruction, being faithful, I would commend to you a a booklet down in the children's building, Evangelizing Children, that walks through some of the key principles that we need to be aware of as we seek to share the gospel with our kids. You know, it highlights a, a number of potential pitfalls and fleshes those things out. You know, some, uh, in, especially in, in our part of the country, uh, you know, we, it's easy to, to emphasize more of a, an easy believism mindset with kids where we're just trying to get them to respond externally to the gospel. You know, if, if that's what you're striving for with your kids, you can probably get them to want to go to heaven instead of hell, right? I mean, if, if you take a child and you describe all the horrors of, of hell and all the glories of heaven and you say, which one do you want? Unless they're really mad at you and stubborn, they're going to say, I want heaven. And you can say, well, just do this, and you get to go to heaven, and they'll be excited for that. Scriptures speak of, of children being tossed here and there, of thinking like a child. Part of that is that, that easily swayed mindset. We, we don't want to do that with our kids But we don't want to overreact and fail to communicate the gospel to kids. We don't want to say, well, I'd hate to to be confusing to them, so we're just not going to do that. No, we don't want to coerce a response, but we don't want to fail to communicate either. We want to be faithful to consistently communicate the complete gospel to our kids of of who God is and of, of their sin and their need of Christ. Again, discipline gives a powerful opportunity for that. Ted Tripp, says that discipline leads to the cross of Christ where sinful people are forgiven. Discipline highlights our sin. But don't just walk away from discipline with your kids thinking about how terrible they are. Lead them to the gospel, to the hope of Christ, as you discipline and as you confront that sin. And never move past the gospel with your kids. Some parents ask me, you know, I, I don't know if my child is saved and and if I should move on to, to other things that I want them to learn. And, and, you know, part of it as parents is recognizing we may not be able to tell when our child is saved. If they've grown up in a Christian home, in a church, it may be a dramatic transformation. But it may be harder to discern. But regardless, don't move past the gospel. Don't think, okay, I think they're saved. Now we can move on. No, keep telling them and telling yourself the truth of what Christ has done. And yeah, so we want to be making disciples in our homes, with our children, viewing the, the primary task God's given us to help them understand their need of Christ and who He is. We also want to be faithful to make disciples in our communities. You know again, you may have more limited opportunities at this season of life, although with coworkers and others, we have opportunities to interact, but just being intentional. To not miss the opportunities that God gives us to interact with others. That may mean some intentional relationships, you know, with neighbors, with with those that as your kids age uh, or get older, and you may begin to do some other activities with them on a a soccer team or a basketball team or, or those kinds of things, being intentional, not just to view that as another thing in our day that we're getting to and we're blasting out of here. But these are chances to build relationships with those who we long to see be followers of the King. And then looking for opportunities and creating opportunities for intentional conversations. Recognizing this is our mission. We we want to be about this. We want to connect conversations to the truth about who God is. As we're in His creation and as we're talking about uh, the, the... um, issues of life to bring the truth of Scripture about God's character and His holiness as Creator. About man's sin. You know, it's easy for those in our world just to complain about man's sinfulness without recognizing that it's a personal issue and a personal problem for them. Bringing in the truth about Christ and our right response of repentance and faith. And thirdly, we want to be a part of. Making disciples of all the nations. Now, you might say, well, we're here in Texas. You know, we can be a part of that to an extent in our area, but what does that, what does that look like? You know, certainly not every one of those 500 or however many disciples were there on the mountain dispersed all over the world. Some did. Some did not of their choice, but as a result of persecution. The Lord may scatter you from here in various ways, give you opportunities. But some intentionally went and were sent. The Scriptures present the partnership of the church in sending those intentionally to go to the ends of the earth. This text, again, reminds us it's not just about making disciples in our area. It's making disciples of all the nations, all the peoples. To see Christ honored and worshipped among all the peoples of the earth is to be our passion and our heart. That, uh, again, involves us and our families and our neighborhoods. We are part of all the nations, but there's a whole lot more of all the nations that we're to care about. As a church, we can support and send missionaries. As individuals, you can support and pray for and be a part of uh, the work that God is doing. You know, if you haven't had an opportunity, you can go to our, our website and on our missions page. You can find some different missionaries from Countryside, and you can sign up to be on their prayer team. That means you'll get newsletters about them, and you can be praying for them, uh, and you can learn more about their ministry. Some of our missionaries in Lebanon, that Mark uh, and, and Peter Scarborough, uh, Jeff and Debbie's two of their boys, are having a pastor's conference this week. You can pray for them. And uh, and be praying for their ministry there, and on and on the needs go. Yes, we should be excited and committed to seeing the gospel spread among the nations. Also means considering going, or possibly more scary for us, thinking of having our kids go. You know, what would you think as a parent? And most of you have like young children, so it's not going to happen yet. But if your child came to you and said, "I want to go," I want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. One, I hope that would be because you've helped cultivate that heart in them. And I hope you would respond in a way that values Christ more than our own comforts and desires. I mean, that's hard to think about. I'm I'm struck by a letter that uh, Adoniram Judson, who was a a well-known missionary to India, wrote to his future father-in-law. He was asking for his daughter... Ann Judson's hand in marriage. You know, if you're uh, a dad of daughters, you can uh, look forward to that day as I do, and you can think of all the things that you hope that conversation entails and all the ways that you would be likely to respond. Iram wrote this to Ann's father. He says, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. So far, so good, right? He says, Can you consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world? Whether you can consent to her departure for a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. It's like, ah, You know, that's probably not my first choice for my daughter, right? But he goes on, he knew the godly character of this father, and he said, "Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathen save through her means from eternal woe and despair?" Pretty well said, isn't it? Can can you give up your daughter? Now, thankfully, today we have FaceTime and other things where the likelihood of what he was describing to that extent would not be as real to us. But do we love Christ in that way? Where we would say, absolutely. Our priority is making disciples. And it's making disciples not just in our home, not just on our kids' soccer team, but of the nations. And we recognize there's a cost to that. And there's a cost that we ought to be willing and eager to pay because of the value of Christ to us, because we worship Him. You know, again, I'm not saying that you'll get that letter. I'm not saying that that's the sacrifice you will be called or I will be called to make. But will we live with that mindset now? That if Christ is worth that, He's worth me trying to build a relationship with my neighbor. If Christ is worth that, He's worth me being real intentional with my kids to help direct them to the truth of the gospel as we interact. If Christ is, is worth that, we've got to maintain a priority of evangelism even when we're at a hectic stage of life. Again, I, I understand you probably don't have all the opportunities that you might at different seasons. You know, it's, it's crazy at a soccer game when you're chasing your kids around and just trying to keep them from running into the street. And so having lengthy conversations with people might be more difficult than at other stages of life. But don't miss the opportunities that are there. Don't miss being a part of the mission of God that He has given to us individually and to the church corporately to make disciples of all the nations. You know, we've just studied in Romans 10 the importance of that as well, and and we see that modeled in Paul, you know, as one who was committed to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We're learning that gospel in Romans. We're seeing the need of that gospel to go forth. May we be committed to the priority of evangelism. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the privilege that you give us of being disciples, of growing through our involvement in the local church to learn to obey you in every area of life. And, and Lord, we're thankful for the, the privilege of participating in that mission. And Lord, I pray that, that Christ would be so valuable to us that he would be uh, on our lips in, in so many of our interactions with others. And Lord, we confess that too often we lose sight of the glory of Christ, of, of our desire to be ambassadors for you. Lord, we, we get distracted by our own life and our own comforts and the things going on in our world. And, and Lord, we pray that you would Forgive us for that and that you would give us a great zeal to be witnesses for you faithfully. Starting in our homes with our kids, Lord, we pray that you would make us faithful to declare the gospel in our words and through our example to them. Lord, we pray that as we interact with others who are are not in Christ, who are not a part of our church, that we would be intentional in those relationships and that we would seek to be bold in, in declaring The truth of Christ to them as you provide opportunities for us. And Lord, we pray that individually and as a church, we would be faithful to see the gospel declared and churches established in the the most remote parts of the world for your glory. Lord, we are thankful for that privilege to be ambassadors of the King. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us grace to See the opportunities before us and to seize them. Give us just fruitful discussion as we spend time in our small groups, uh, further discussing these things. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen.